contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. That is so out of sync. I can't even. I sure is. Oh boy. Welcome to Improvcast. Where we improvise music. Improvcast. 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 <laughs> Throwback. Retro. That's right. This is once for all delivered, not to be confused with any former iterations of itself. I am Andrew Smith. And I am Caleb Castro. Tote zines. Zotines. <laughs> so my apologies if that's something bad. I don't know any Dutch. Please don't kill me. <laughs> I don't know if it's anything. So I'm I'm huffing and puffing because there were some smudges on my like my webcam's uh, lens from my son's uh, slobbery mouth. And uh, this yeah, after or, you had to run home to get your power cord because your battery. We'll going. get to so, that. So Caleb really we'll came to, to play tonight. I really did. Uh, you can see the state of my my mind right now, but uh, actually it's pretty normal. Uh, I run on like probably four to five hours of sleep each night, probably. But like aside from that, so yeah, I had a you know I I I normally have a microfiber cloth with me to clean my screen. Um, but didn't have anything. It was pretty foggy on my lens, so I used my shirt. I was cringing because uh, I thought I didn't have anything. Well, found this in my pocket. Microfiber. Nice. In addition to what Andrew just mentioned, uh, I didn't have my charger on me for my computer. And... Uh, so I ran home to go and try to find it. Couldn't find it. Uh, so I borrowed my wife's because we have the same thing, basically. And I come back and I look in my bag, which I had with me all along. And yeah, there was my charger. So this is a sign of great things to come, but we don't believe in chance. Um, no, we're not no, complaining. He's... Now I'm cleaning right in front of you on the sh- on the show. Th- this this time it's better to be on audio, I guess. All right. Well, anyways, all right. So speaking of, of into my life. speaking of horrible, terrible things, uh, we're picking up where we left off previously, talking about the subject of climate change. And last time we did some preliminary material, looking at what. Uh, scripture and our Reformed theology have to say about uh, the earth, about our uh, environmental stewardship, stewardship generally, uh, just some sort of background and preliminary stuff, God's providence over the earth, how the seasons continue and things of that sort to prepare us to do what we are going to do this time, which is to talk about issues of climate change and really answer the question set forth in the title of this episode 
is what's being done, what's being presented these days under the uh, heading in the interest of climate change. Is it conservation, like we talked about last time, or is it a cult? Dun, 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 dun. And not a cult like a small horse, a cult like a with a U, the other kind. Like Mormonism. Yes, like Mormonism. Another subject we could do on here at some point. Adding to the list. I, I have, Actually, I think I have it already. I have lots of hot takes, searing hot molten lava takes on Mormonism. Andrew but... is all about Mormonism. <laughs> yep. It's like my favorite, least favorite religion. <laughs> but that is not what we're doing tonight. We're talking about the climate cult. I guess we gave the ending away. So, Whoa. Uh, dun, dun, dun. okay. basically the case we're going to make in the minutes, hours, days, however long this takes to co- takes coming, because we've been told recently that our episodes are the length of Tolkien movies, which if we're talking like director cut, you know, of the Peter Jackson franchise, which by the way, I haven't actually watched except the first 40 minutes of the first one, but I understand that Watching them all takes like a whole day, like 24 hours or something. 24 hour, six day, literal. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. Um, hey, we're going to do a show on that coming up here soon, too. Spoilers. With, with big, important guest. Um, but anyway. Lord willing. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, so uh, a lot of what is being peddled under the current concerns about the climate actually ends up being a thinly veiled paganism. It ends up looking more like a religion. It ends up looking more like a system of worship. And we're going to make some arguments why. We are. We're going to talk about why and stuff. But thing. we're going to sit for and things. such. Well, we're gonna start with uh, so some just some some scriptural references, um, and uh, I mean, how how have people, uh, particularly unbelievers, how have they regarded nature over uh, over the eras, over the aeons? Um, I'm gonna start particularly on how they've ended up worshiping nature. Yes, and I'm actually and gonna start. A brief note from, uh, brief for me also means 30 minutes, but I'm kidding. Uh, a brief, just a brief note, not from not Andrew, kidding. What for what we did here uh, on our on our uh, show notes outline, but it just kind of came to mind. Uh, even when already you get into matters of interpretation of like Genesis 1 and 2 uh, on creation itself, um, you know, at times there, there's people will, will draw, uh, biblical scholars will draw parallels or point to parallels between scripture and uh, those days of creation and ancient Near Eastern uh, pagan creation myths. Okay. Um, And in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of interpretation still kind of favors that, even with some conservatives, uh, generally speaking, conservative. Um, Basically, uh, some people will look at the, the creation and say, uh, that God is working with chaos and bringing it to order. 
um, it kind of it, it's kind of a focus on um, it's kind of a focus on okay, God spoke, things come into existence. Uh, there's this, there's the void, there's the waste, and uh, it's all chaos. And God reshapes it, remolds it into order, and yet uh, that. To, to, to ascribe chaos um, to even that initial state of the universe, um, again, young Earth creationist here, though, to ascribe any kind of state of chaos, even in the beginning, is already to give nature too much, too much uh, credence. It's to give nature too much of its own uh, autonomy and character. All right. Um, also opens the God door is for intent. like, yeah. It also opens the door for like you know preexistent matter, which is something the Mormons I, believe. And I actually uh, just this past uh, just this past uh, Lord's Day in the morning sermon, I, I actually uh, I had uh, made a note on just the comment of the term preexistent matter. I mean, it's an oxymoron <laughs> itself. So, yeah. anyways. If well, I mean, real, really, the the outworking of that is if you have preexistent matter, then oh. you have you have two gods. You have right. God that we call God, and then you have some other eternal, infinite being that is matter. So, and that's you, and that's you just get dualism. It. Yeah, whether it's well, whether it's whether you're dealing with these these modern scientific claims of today on like the Big Bang and preexistent matter and so on, or you go back to the ancient times, which says that there were. You know, oftentimes, like the uh, Sumerian Babylonian myths, there were two gods that hashed it out in the beginning, mm-hmm. and they battled dualism. They battled, and the god that uh, one, you know, basically established uh, the universe from the spilt blood or of his enemies or whatever. There, there's these kind of things that says there was something that existed beforehand, or some things. There were other gods. And then they formed stuff. Nature is a god in paganism. And this goes right down to our own time of how we even talk about chaos in the beginning. So that continues, though, after the fall to be, since the fall, this this is the prevailing theology of the unbeliever and that theology we can simply call paganism or heathenism Mm -hmm. yeah and you see this start to work out in forms of nature worship forms of worshiping nature or worshiping gods particularly concerned with a particular part of nature and you can even see this just a very brief survey of the false gods the false religions that are presented in scripture throughout the old testament you think of Baal, the uh, god that Elijah humiliated at Mount Carmel, and all his uh, all his prophets were struck down. It's not the only time he appears. Baal was a recurring feature all throughout the Old Testament, uh, but Baal was most likely a storm god, also associated with possibly fertility and other things. He was a big, tough, manly god, uh, but about regarding storms regarding rain and isn't it fascinating that when israel was in its greatest idolatry and apostasy worshiping baal the storm god who's going to send them rain how does god judge them well he judges them by not sending them rain for three years 
So, <laughs> you know, take that. But then even, you know, in the showdown at Mount Carmel, once it's settled and once the prophets of Baal are chased down and put to the sword, you know, then God sends rain. Or even, um, you know, he's not able to send fire, or send lightning or whatever form it may take to uh, light up his sacrifice, but then God burns his even down to the rocks. Um, so, you know, God humiliates those God, but what it shows is that the propensity among paganism was to worship gods that give them the things that they need from the earth. So a God that gives you storms and rain, that's important. Similarly related, I mentioned there's some fertility aspects possibly associated with Baal, but there definitely is with the other false God that was popular in Israel at the time, the Ashtaroth or Asherah, um, was a fertility goddess. So again, you know, cause you need your storms and your rain. So your crops grow and you need to, uh, you need fertility both for people and for animals so that your animals can multiply. And so it's essentially worshiping creation, trying to get creation to yield up, uh, whatever it is that people want or need. Or another example, uh, less prominent, but you see like in the opening chapters of first Samuel, uh, in the ordeal with the Philistines when the Ark is captured, the god Dagon. Now, Dagon, there's various theories, but the most likely one to me is Dagon was a fish god because the, the Philistines were a coastal and seafaring people. But Dagon was a fish god. Um, you know, they probably did some fishing and they needed fish, but... Uh, and, you know, God broke Dagon into pieces on the floor. But again, worshiping something in creation that's related to what the people want and need from the earth. Uh, now, those are just the biblical examples. You see this all throughout history, cultures that worship the sun god and the moon god. And you see this, you know, especially in polytheistic religions, they'll have different gods to represent all these things. You can think of the ancient Egyptians. I'm no expert, so I'm probably going to name some of these wrong stuff. But like you have Ra, who's the sun god their most powerful God. And then they'd have other gods for rain, other gods for, you know, probably fertility. You could think of like the Greek pantheon. You have Zeus. He's a God of thunder. Um, and again, I'm butchering these cause I'm not a pagan. So I don't know all this stuff, but what you do know how these Greek and Roman gods, uh, that were gods over like literally every single area, God of latrines and whatever you had this adapted then even into, the medieval system of patron saints and especially mm -hmm. now with Roman Catholicism, right? Where yeah. these patron saints, which oversee certain areas of creation or your life, you pray to, uh, you pray to them, you certain try to gain trades. their favor, certain yeah. traits. Yeah. Which actually was really just kind of, it was a bit of religious syncretism. It's what moved in mm -hmm. to replace the actual Roman patronage system uh, before Christianity became predominant in the empire, uh, you would have like these guilds of like, you know, you'd have like guilds of certain kinds of craftsmen. So like you could mm -hmm. have a guild of masons or a guild of, you know, blacksmiths. I don't know if they were blacksmiths. I don't know if they were working iron yet. Um, they were. Yeah, they would have been. They had <laughs> iron. Of course they did. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, you'd have these various guilds and trades, and so and those guilds would have their gods, and they would have their religious rituals. Um, that was one of the things, actually, that made converting to Christianity in that period so costly, is because if you're becoming a Christian, you're going to worship God alone, and you're going to 
be exiled from your guild and so you're going to lose a lot of your business connections and the like um but anyway yeah so then the roman catholics being syncretistic as roman catholics often can be when they go on mission um they basically kind of incorporated that and did the patron saint thing which sort of kept that alive okay so here's here's a fun one for you so there's a patron saint of storms saint medard a patron saint for protection against bad storms will intercede for us during the storms of nature or the storms of our lives uh there's uh there's uh saint agnes who you you should pray as a young girl to for fertility um ooh, sounds like a fertility god uh but there's also a patron saint of theologians you know who that is if you would wager a guess I don't, I don't want to. It's Augustine. Oh, well. But do you know who the patron saint of beer brewers is? No. Also Augustine. Huh. Huh. (laughs) Man of many talents, I guess. I guess so. Anyways. Anyway. The god um, of brewers. (laughs) So all that to say... Uh, what we really see, you know, biblically speaking, it's Romans one, uh, people suppress the knowledge of the true God in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness and they end up worshiping the created things rather than the creator. And that's what this all boils down to. It's the, um, you know, whether it's worshiping the sun, worshiping these gods of these things, worshiping these saints of these things, and mm-hmm. trying to call it Christianity like Rome does. Um, yeah, this is this has been the tendency throughout all human history. If you reject God, this is where you end up. Um, but what does this have to do with the climate? Well, in a certain sense, we see in all of this focus and interest in climate change, Uh, We see a certain return to a certain focus on and an almost worshipful and religious aspect attached to what we do to the earth. How do we interact with the earth? And we'll actually, as we go here, show some examples of this. Yeah, we don't even have to say an almost worship. I mean, one for one, it is worship, Um, right? Uh, It as as, uh, you know, we've handed out quite a lot or without you know a little masking that it's a cult uh the yeah um kind of picking piggybacking off of andrew with the romans one passage you know uh there there's a there's an arrogance as a whole uh with man's assumptions of how nature operates whether it was the pagans who believe that there are uh you know there's some kind of entity or deity or whatever that oversees things of creation and makes it function or whether it's the scientists of our day, uh, that push a, uh, you know, that, that push their theories as though they are, uh, as if they are, they are inspired revelatory facts all the time. Um, the, there, there's, there is a pomp and arrogance of man to assume that he understands creation. Um, not going to, of course, read this entire thing with you, but just just read through, you know, Job chapters thirty-eight to uh, and thirty-nine. Um, 
you know, God answers Job out of the whirlwind saying, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determines its uh, measurements. You know, so he goes to speak about uh, in 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 uh, the illustration or, or or imagery of a master builder describing his work of creation. Um, you know, there's a couple there's a couple uh, you know interesting notes in it where God says, uh, um, you know. Verse 32 of chapter, uh, sorry, verse 22 of chapter 8. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? So, so where does where does the snow and the hail really come from? Do you know why, not, not only how it comes, but why he's going to send it forth? For what purposes? And you know, the Lord goes on to ask things like, uh, you know, can you command the clouds to come forth and, and give you coverings? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say, here we are? Or he goes on to say, do you know how, when, and why the mountain goat is going to give birth? Um, you know, so, and then uh, at chapter 40, verse 1, uh, the Lord ultimately says, shall a uh, fault finder contend with the Almighty? Who, who He who argues with God let him answer it. So in other words, who knows the earth and its purposes? So we want to lay that out right now as we go into these false views, having this all in the back of the mind. Who knows the earth better than its creator? Right. Yeah, it's, uh, well, and that's the egregiousness of the sin too, the forsaking the worship of the creator for the created. It's trading the best thing for lesser and inferior things. Uh, so one example, you might remember a few years ago, just to touch on briefly, Union Seminary in New York City, which Union Seminary is a fascinating institution with a colorful history. It used to be a Presbyterian uh, seminary, um, but it was even very quickly in its existence, one of the first to liberalize. And a lot of the Presbyterian crises of the late 19th and early 20th century uh, involved the battle between Old <laughs> Princeton and Union. So already by then, Union was pretty far gone. Well, a few years ago, uh, there was an incident at, at Union Seminary where the students and faculty during a chapel service they put a bunch of plants up on the stage and they were essentially making confession of sins to these plants for their sins against plants and their failure to properly steward plants and to steward the earth. If you wanted to forget, we're here to remind you. Yeah. You're um, welcome. We could, we could have brought the pictures in the video, but we didn't. So there. What? Oh, I thought we did have a slide for that one. Okay. Well, no. Yeah, so they prayed and asked for uh, forgiveness. Uh, they, they made confessions to plants because, you know, we've been mean to plants in nature and, you know, have abused the climate change. Um, so I found, though, a related, uh, a related um, litany, okay? a, a liturgical, uh, right, a, a liturgical, we call them like, you know, call and responses. From um, the Unitarian Universalists. Yeah, that bastion the, of orthodoxy. The main line of the main line. So you wanna you wanna give lead us in the litany, Andrew? 
I sure don't, but um <laughs> yeah, it's this uh I mean, what can you say? It's a litany meant to be done in church, meant to be done in worship. Yeah, for those who have been lost to climate change. Now, it's fascinating that, uh, and I should have pulled these statistics, you know, if I actually did, you know, prepare for the show the way I'm supposed to. Um, <laughs> if you weren't pastoring, fa- you know, and other stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so yeah, just a few lines, I guess, to give you an idea for those who are listening in the audio. So you have the the leader, uh in addition to our own beloved dead, we take time to acknowledge all those already lost as the world feels the effects of global warming and climate change. You have to use them both together. Thousands of people, as well as animals and plants, <laughs> die every year from the effects of global climate change. As we acknowledge the lost, we shall respond we remember you. And then the leader says to those people lost to extreme heat waves. And then the people respond, we remember you to all those people <laughs> lost to floods. Caleb, this is a somber. occasion. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> floods, hurricanes, mudslides, and other disasters caused by changing weather patterns. <laughs> we remember you. <laughs> go down, go down to some of the last lines there, but the last like, Three or four. Those are my favorites. Um, I don't have those. Two, this is a screenshot, oh, but okay. Yeah. Well, um, let me read those last four ones. I have it on a link. Uh, if anyone really is interested, uh, search for "Litany of Those Lost to Climate Change," or we'll send it to you free of charge. So, my favorite to all those animals, siblings of flesh and blood, breath and bone, whose lives have been lost as global climates change. We remember you. To all those plant spirits, siblings of the green world, whose lives have been lost as global climates change, we remember you. And uh, to all those species lost forever, etc., etc. Feel like we need like some Sarah McLaughlin music over <laughs> the top of that or something. In the arms of an angel. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, uh, so yeah. So really though, really though, like, so I mean, note though the note how how this so-called litany uses personal terminology though, saying we remember you, even when talking about like, I mean these 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 things like extreme heat waves. We remember you as if these heat waves are a person. <laughs> it's just, what do you even say? Well, let's let's uh, shake the ashes, uh, the dust uh, off of our feet, rather, and <laughs> continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, so there's more. <laughs> let's get as far away from that as possible. Um, we have examples. I mean, beyond these overtly religious examples, and we'll come back to a few more too, even in like what we would think would be more orthodox Christian circles of this. Uh, but now we're just going to look at some stuff in the broader society. We have our first <laughs> Greta Thunberg appearance. It had to happen. Um, yeah, Caleb shared with me this article from The Federalist. It was actually from a few years ago, sometime in 2019. And it says, 
it gets right down to business. The headline is climate worship is nothing more than rebranded paganism. And it actually, it actually (laughs) cites a study or a, a paper by Lynn Townsend White Jr., which is an American historian from Princeton. So sorry for those of you who were on the edge of your seat about my earlier discussion of the Presbyterian <laughs> controversy. Uh, Princeton didn't make it either. Um, <laughs> another story for another time, if you're not up on your Presbyterian history. But in 1967... Tell me about the OPC, Andrew. <laughs> oh, I mean, we could, <laughs> no. we could go all night about that. Someday. But, all right. I tell you what, we're not doing climate litanies and we're not praying to plants in the OPC. So how about that? <laughs> that is a um, mercy from God. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, Lynn Townsend White was a historian at Princeton and wrote this in 1967, um, an essay basically saying that Christianity and Judeo-Christian values are responsible for ecological disaster and climate change. Um, because it dis- just, just say that again. Who's responsible for climate change? Christianity and Judeo-Christian values. The <laughs> argument being that Christianity and Judeo-Christian values displaced the older pagan religions. You know, those things we were talking about earlier that are condemned both explicitly and implicitly in Scripture. Um, basically, those got displaced, and so the concern for the earth that went with them was displaced. Uh, so basically, yeah, too much Christianity, and it, it it's killing the earth. Christianity is killing the world, basically, is the argument. <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah, we have. <laughs> uh, see, our, see part one in the reading of uh, Belgian Confession, Article 13. Yeah. Who sustains the world? Yeah. Well, now for uh, more fun. Fun. We have a strange definition of that around here. Well, this one's not fun. We we talked about this one before. We talked about it in our AI episode. We also mentioned it at the start of part one. The man in Belgium who ended his life, he committed suicide after an AI chatbot encouraged him because of climate change, that he needed to die. Basically, he was a burden on the world, a burden on society, and so he had to die. Um, Which starts to hint at something that we'll look into a little more here, how this climate cult and this climate alarmism is inherently anti-human. Basically, the logical Mm -hmm. conclusion of all this is you might as well just die because you're part of the problem and you're contributing to it. Right, and we have the uh, and we have the intellect uh, above animals to reason this out, and therefore we should make that sacrifice. Yeah, so I mean, not e- can do, you know. not everybody who's you know advocating for things for the climate believes this, but some actually do, and some advocate either. Um, anti-humanism going all the way to uh, suicide or mass extermination but it also takes the form of anti-natalism too we're not going to reproduce we shouldn't reproduce because the earth is going to overpopulate Mm -hmm. which is a great segue into uh, looking at a figure who Ah. used to Mm -hmm. be very prominent uh, in the 1960s and has resurfaced his name is paul ehrlich uh, he is a biologist, 
Um, I believe he's most recently with Stanford University. And in 1968, so around the same time of uh, that article where uh, it was argued that Christianity is killing the world. Well, Paul Ehrlich, he was a little more broad at least, but he said basically humanity's killing the world. Um, he wrote a book in 1968 called The Population Bomb, and his argument all the way back then, uh, we're talking now 55 years ago, was that the Earth was overpopulating, and in fact it was already so overpopulated that in the 1970s, which were right around the corner from then, there was going to be hundreds of millions of deaths due to starvation, um, due to this overpopulation. Uh, he was completely wrong. None of that came to happen. None of it was even close to happening. And this would just be an interesting footnote in history if it were not for the fact that Paul Ehrlich is back now. He's, in, he's about 90 years old. And he's still uh. putting out this alarmist propaganda. And people are listening again because of now this newfound concern in the climate. And so we're going to watch a video <laughs> clip of old Paul. And uh, yeah, let's, let's see what this is all about. <laughs> Awkward silence. Awkward silence. A World Wildlife Fund study says that in the past 50 years, the abundance of global this is from wildlife 60 minutes, has collapsed 69%. <laughs> Mostly for the same reason. Too many people, there too much is. consumption, and growth mania. At the age of 90, biologist Paul Ehrlich may have lived long enough <laughs> to see some of his dire prophecies come true. You seem to be saying Ooh. that humanity is not sustainable. No, humanity is not sustainable to maintain uh, our lifestyle, yours and mine, basically, for the entire planet. You'd need five more Earths, not clear where they're going to come from. Just in terms of the resources that would be required? Resources that would be required, um, the systems that support our lives, which, of course, are the biodiversity uh, that we're wiping out. Uh, humanity is very busily sitting on a limb that we're sawing off. In 1968, Ehrlich, a biology professor at Stanford, became a doomsday celebrity with a bestseller forecasting the collapse of nature. When the population bomb came out, you were described as an alarmist. I was alarmed. I am still alarmed. <laughs> All of my colleagues are alarmed. The alarm Ehrlich sounded in 68 warned that overpopulation would trigger widespread famine. This was just like was last year. That. This was on the Green minutes. Revolution fed the world. But he also wrote in 68 that heat from greenhouse gases would melt oh no, polar ice not the polar bears. and humanity would overwhelm the wild. Today, <laughs> humans have taken over 70% of the and planet's land and 70% Can we be heard right now? The rate of extinction yes. is That's hilarious. extraordinarily <laughs> high now and getting higher all the time. We oh no, the, the polar bear. Is extraordinarily the polar because of a study of the fossil record by biologist Tony Barnowski. And it goes Ernest on from there. Stanford, he talks to this other guy, another Stanford guy. Then they complain about how the bears are all dying in California. And... <laughs> Not the bears. Yeah. So... The, bear, the bears are also dying in Chicago. Yeah. So. Not that um, we watch sports. 
I will just say, I mean, I'm not a radical conspiracy theorist. I don't believe in the lizard people, but if the lizard people exist, Paul Ehrlich is one of them, and in fact, probably rules over them. If the... <laughs> well, if the lizard people exist, it, yeah, <laughs> they want their planet back. <laughs> yep. We're killing so, them. <laughs> yeah, but what what you see in this to try to <laughs> We're we are your uh inane juvenile discourse podcast once for all juvenile. <laughs> so, what the lizard man was trying to tell us <laughs> is that uh Basically, humans are going to, they, they, I mean, it was the same thing he was saying in the 60s that he was completely wrong about, that the earth is overpopulated with humans. We're growing too much, reproducing too much, developing too much, and that's just going to destroy everything up to and including polar bears and rhinos and, <laughs> and yeah. the lizard people. Um, but it's so it's inherently <laughs> anti-human. It's humanity is the problem. We need fewer people. We need to... Reduce our own populations in order to, um, in order to deal with this problem, uh, to deal with this situation. And again, it's given rise to antinatalism. You know, why do so few people have babies? I mean, there's lots of reasons now why, especially millennials and Gen Z, they don't have babies. But one that you'll hear a lot when you ask people is, why don't you want to have babies? Well, uh, I don't. One of the reasons you'll hear now is I don't want to contribute to climate change, or I don't want to make the Earth overpopulated and outstrip mm -hmm. its resources. You know, and I mean, we need to state the obvious here. It's uh, and aside from this, uh, this in a biological sense, um, and even a sociological sense of antinatalism. Let's let's call the spade a spade. It's it's. I mean, this is this is anti. This is anti-theism. It, it's a pure. This is a pure paganism. Um, uh, you know, like like just just going to read a section here from Lord's Day Ten of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we'll get to on our catechism series soon enough, uh, Lord willing. But uh, uh, question twenty-seven asks, "What do you mean by the providence of God, uh, the Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were?" By his hand, he still upholds, note that word, still upholds heaven, earth, and all creatures, including the polar bears, the rhinos, and the lizard people, and so governs them that, and so he so governs them but that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health, sickness, riches, poverty, yea, all things come not by chance but his fatherly hand. Uh, so, I mean, this, this, this includes all these, uh, you know, these crises that, uh, that these pagans are so afraid of. Um, and even this, this question of, you know, oh, you know, should I have kids because, you know, they're going to be a burden on this world. It's going to be a worse place and so on. Uh, God still upholds all creatures, including man. He'll sustain man yeah. his entire days that he's appointed to. So, Well, and another layer to this, too, is there's a tacit denial of the dominion mandate and that not 
not only are we not to have dominion over the earth, but in a certain sense, we're like a parasite on the earth. We're the problem yeah. on the earth. We're the we're the totally. problem that needs to be eliminated. Um, so yeah, that's uh, some of the more secular versions of this and reason and issues in the broader culture. But we also see this uh, taking a hold at ostensibly uh, Christian uh, institutions and organizations. So we have our second Greta Thunberg appearance. Uh, she, Thunberg. Re <laughs> she received a few months ago an honorary degree from the University of Helsinki in Finland. In what discipline? <laughs> oh no, that hurts. Theology, of course. So, so if any of our patron saint. <laughs> Yeah, if any of you, any of our listeners are thinking that I, they want to go on to get a doctorate in theology, um, you know, receive this for information. <laughs> it is an honorary doctorate, so she didn't actually, like, well... Earn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, Greta Thunberg. So, if you don't, if for some reason you don't know who she is, she's then how uh, dare you? She's twenty years old now. She started as a teenager. Uh, I believe she has Asperger's syndrome, or she's somewhere on the mm. on the, the autism spectrum. But uh, basically, as a teenager, going around and very sternly lecturing politicians and the like about the dangers of climate change and how the older generations have failed her generation and harmed it by failing to address this crisis. And so she's basically become now this um, massive, massively influential uh, political figure, uh and just, yeah, one of the most famous people in the world for, for this is her whole thing, uh, including, yeah, being awarded a honorary doctorate from a theology faculty um, at what would be an ostensibly Christian institution. Um, I don't remember exactly, like, what the affiliation of the University of Helsinki is. It may just be public now. Um, I know there's a lot of very liberal Lutherans in in Finland, it could be something mm -hmm. to do with that. Um, like even, you know, with or beyond the American mainline Lutherans. Uh, but yeah, so degree in theology for, uh, you know, not an honorary degree in biology or uh, any area pertaining to the actual uh, ostensible science behind this. It's no, it's theology, it's religion. Uh, that she is being rewarded for her contributions. Yeah, well. <sighs> speaking of there? speaking of cursed mainline or mainline like developments, uh, sort of along the lines of the climate litany <laughs> that we had <laughs> earlier, the PCUSA. <laughs> Because not only did Union and Princeton Seminary not make it, but the denomination they're part of, the the PCUSA, did not make it and continues to not make it. Um, 
last year they had some new they had a climate uh, some climate talks that were held in Glasgow, Scotland and a PCUSA uh, female minister wrote a hymn set to the tune of immortal invisible God only wise but it's called the Ugh. climate is changing. And here uh, are <laughs> here are some of those lyrics. I did find a recording of this, but yeah, let's not I dignify it wanna, with that tune. And it wasn't even like musically that great. So, but uh, the climate is changing. Creation cries out. Your people face flooding and fire and drought. We see <laughs> the great heat waves and storms at their worst. We pray for the poor Lord, for they suffer first. We pray for the animals here in our midst who cannot defend their own right to exist. We pray for the mountains and forests and seas that bear the harsh footprint of our human greed, which that doesn't rhyme. That's just like not even great, great songwriting there. Um we thank you for people who treasure the earth, whose faith has long taught them its beauty and worth. We thank you as well for the children and youth who look to the future and speak out the truth. Shout out to Greta again, probably. <laughs> That's verse three of five. We thank you for leaders, courageous and brave. <laughs> Who know that the earth is worth fighting to save. Who care about justice and what they should do. Who listen to science and work hard for you. <laughs> you love this good earth and you sent us your son. May we love our neighbors. There's work to be done. May we by your spirit do all in our power to care for your earth in this critical hour. That's it. <laughs> Just that. Just that. I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> so yeah, a hymn uh, was meant, you know, it was done around this climate summit, but yeah, meant to be done as a part of ostensibly, uh, ostensibly doing a lot of lifting here, Presbyterian church worship. So. Or whatever you call it, worshiping something. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, what do you even do with that? Let's just, let's just move on. Uh, no, no, no. Real quick there, that the, we pray for the animals here in our midst who cannot defend their own right to exist. And like, I mean, we pray for the mountains, forest, and sea, blah, blah, blah. When, remember, we had what I had read before from Job 38 and 39, <laughs> just to remember what he, the Lord says in Job 38 and 39. Uh, anyways, so yeah, is 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 that is that the worst? Um, <laughs> well, we don't really have anything. We don't really have anything on this next one, but we're gonna. Uh, but we're gonna put this slide up anyways. Uh, if you're if you're only listening to the audio. I'm so sorry. Uh, you can't enjoy this as much, but this is uh, we actually brought this up in the AI episode. Uh, it was an AI generated image of um, of uh, Francis, uh, the you know the Bishop of Rome, 
uh, in a puffer jacket. That that um, antichrist and man of lawlessness. <laughs> Westminster. Uh, <laughs> the uh, so we don't really have anything much more in this. Just an image of of Francis in the uh, puffer jacket. Um, we'll he he, he has actually, uh, you know, often talked about the climate yeah. crisis as something that needs to be dealt with. And I mean, he's very much on the side of, uh, you know, those who would, who would press this issue. Yeah, but, it is, that is true. But we mainly it's just, points. this is just puffer jacket time. So something think, to cleanse your palate after that, that, the that, PC was, yeah, we're cleansing PC your palate. A, we are cleansing your palate with Pope Francis. Um, Next yeah. we have You know uh, you know it's bad when Pope Francis is what we need to bring us back. <laughs> better than he's better better than Paul Ehrlich. <laughs> yes, the No more lizard people. So next we have uh in the Calvin realm of, University. <laughs> we have in the realm of of reformed institutions uh calvin university uh i also sent this one to uh andrew as a late addition to the show uh so he has graciously um provided a a slide of what i sent him and uh the article um is from the calvin institute of christian worship so this is where you know they they do most handle most of their liturgical stuff um but the, the the article title is uh, New Worship Songs for Climate Change and Creation Care. Um, and it has the description that our two, 2017 annotated list of worship songs about care for creation remains so popular that we have co uh, completed a new list of worship songs to lament climate change and encourage, and encourage creation care. Many of these songs and hymns have been released since 2018. Others are new, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it's, a, it's an index of climate lamentations and encouragements for creation care and um okay maybe general maybe in general a, a fine intent but we do have uh some pretty interesting uh some pretty interesting hymns in there as well uh i i, I actually haven't looked to see if our Presbyterian Church of the USA, the climate is changing, is in here. I, I would suspect not. It, it is. Um, it is there. It is. It is no, there. No, no. The climate is changing by no. Carolyn Winfrey Gillette. That, that is, is it. To the tune of Immortal, <laughs> Invisible, God Only Wise. So uh, maybe, maybe say no more about that. Uh, for for to be fair, there are some there are some things I'm sure that are that are I haven't actually looked too much uh, into some of these. Uh, there are some that legitimately praise God for His creation. Let's not let's not uh, let's not miss that. But there are others like uh, the one I looked at is titled Brother Son. Uh, we don't have the uh, we don't have the slide for you. I didn't I didn't point it out to Andrew, but brother son, brother son, sister moon, your light shines from the heavens, giving glory, giving glory to the Maker. So moderate. That I don't I'm not really comfortable calling the son a brother or the, sister, the moon a sister. Uh, gentle wind, hallelujah. Gentle wind, hallelujah. Uh, I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> 
Uh, so, so there's there's <sighs> that. But um, yeah, we already read the climate change him for you so we're gonna move on uh now th- i believe that that's it for our uh samples of kind of where this has been taken uh so i mean we're, we're seeing it from all the way from the the the, the modern socinians uh virtual pan uh, actual pantheism with the unitarians uh and the unitarian universalist church whatever they do um, we, we've spoken of that and the litany of those uh, lost to climate change. Uh, we've spoken about those political lobbyists and uh, the and uh, this this tie to doomsday uh, and maybe atheistic pessimism. Um, you know, really, and a, a nihilism um, put into its logical practice. Uh, there's the uh, you know the anti-natalism, and then we have the how certain Christian denominations have regarded these matters. So we're here at this point now at uh, basically uh, what's our, what, what, what do we think of this? Uh, uh, does this show, is this sufficient evidence, uh, enough sampling to state that man worships nature, that, that we have a paganism, a, a, a cult uh, that's built up around this climate change thing. I would think yes. <laughs> that's up for you to decide, I suppose. Uh, to, to ask that question is to answer it. Yeah, we'll we'll leave that for the listeners. For ourselves, uh, you know, my my initial thought on this is simply, you know. On one end, you have a uh, man is living in the fear of the god of nature. All right, there, there, man is is afraid of this tyrant. Uh, just like with the Greeks in the ancient period, you didn't want to upset the gods too much because then they're gonna, you know, they're going to uh, visit retribution on you. You don't want to upset the, the the pagan gods of the ancient Near East, uh, the Baals and the the Astaroth and so on. You offend them, and you're going to, uh, you know, you're you're not going to have rain. You're not going to have crops for X amount of time. The world's going to lot. They're going to use nature to lash out and kill you. Well, that seems to be the same here. Man is living under the tyrannical bondage of the god of nature in this cult of uh, of climate change, climate crises. Uh, Andrew, you had an additional take on this. Well, there is that, but at the same time, there's almost like this paradox involved where, on the one hand, yeah, man is fearing the god of nature, but on the other hand, he's also, like, ex- exhibiting great hubris and arrogance and thinking that he can stop this and thinking that he can fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, man thinking too much of himself and his abilities, like, thinking, oh, if we cut all this carbon, we can actually... Uh, slow down or even stop and reverse climate change and for one thing I mean can we I highly doubt it Uh, and even if we did do all of that we don't know that that's actually going to help we don't know that's actually going to change anything or even if we did I mean so much in this earth and so much in the climate is out of our grasp Um, to use another uh, Wyoming and Yellowstone anecdote underneath Yellowstone National Park is one of the largest volcanoes in the world. 
It's presently a dormant volcano. It hasn't erupted in a long time, but they keep saying it's due to erupt. And if it erupted, uh, it would throw enough debris in the air to potentially plunge the Earth into a volcanic winter. Or if there was a large-scale nuclear conflict, it would trigger a nuclear winter. Um, mm. You know, one of those being a natural cause, the other being a man-made cause. Um but, you know, a high possibility that the climate could be changed by environmental factors, even when, like, Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980. It did have some effects on the climate because of a natural event that was out of man's control. We had nothing to do with it, but um, there's just a certain arrogance in man mm -hmm. thinking that we have the tools at our disposal to control and stop the changes in the climate. You know, even, like, now, whenever you see hurricanes or... Uh, other like weather related disasters there's all the people saying there's climate change and if we had just done enough and uh, spent our money the right way and built the right things and voted the right ways um we could have avoided this it's like no we couldn't that's absurd mm -hmm. that's ridiculous to say that we actually would have the capacity to do this so in a certain sense it's this fear and worship of the earth but also man fearing and worshiping no one but himself um, mm -hmm. thinking that he can be sovereign over creation. So on the one hand, you have this denial of the dominion mandate that basically the earth's trying to kill us or that we're a blight on the earth that needs to go away. But then the flip side, you have this over-realized, this hyper dominion that makes us think that we actually are not God's stewards, uh, given the earth, but ruling it according to his rule and providence. But we actually think that we are gods who can mm -hmm. actually control the earth and in a major way modify and change the way that it works. Yeah, and we have, uh, I mean, and, and let's just look at how scripture itself speaks about creation and uh, one more time and and uh, in God's sovereignty, all right? I mean, if, if this, this world is... The, the 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 climate pagans you know want to want to say that this world is going to have the last say i mean uh we, we have passages like uh using beautiful imagery isaiah 55 uh, verse 12 hopefully a familiar one you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. We'll go over to the interpretation in a moment, but other passages like uh, Psalm uh, one, uh, Psalm one forty eight, uh, over from verse uh, seven. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire, hail, snow, mist, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things, flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes, rulers, young men, maidens, old men, children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. So there's, I mean, and these are just two samples, but I mean, it's it's all throughout scripture. Creation praises God, its maker. Um illustrative uh illustrative metaphorical language again these uh fire hail mountains they don't have actual personalities they're not animistic spirits but uh you know we, we go into something like nehemiah 9 6 you are the lord you alone you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host 
the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. So we, we overall, it is, uh, I mean, Scripture is highly optimistic in what the Lord is doing with his creation. God is sovereign, and he is working all things towards their end in consummation. And there, this, this is a hopeful thing. We don't need to be afraid of, I'm not speaking post-millennial, but there, it's a hopeful thing. The Lord will renew what is his. Yep. And so, as we look at this issue, as we wrap up on this issue, uh, we got to avoid the ditches on the road on both sides. We don't want to fear the earth. Um, we don't want to abhor the creation. Um, we also don't want to squander it. We don't want to, um, <coughs> you know... Uh, be bad at taking care of the earth. We don't want to be bad stewards of the earth, being wasteful, those things we talked about in the previous episode. But we do very much see around us, as it relates to this issue, an environment driven by fear, driven by uh, even religious and pagan aspects that we as Christians can't and shouldn't get on board with. We see it corrupting uh, Christian institutions and ostensibly Christian worship. Um we need to recognize the sovereignty and providence of God and also recognize our proper place and our proper exercise of the dominion mandate. So with that, uh, we're getting a little lengthy here tonight, but we do have, and we've got time to do it. We've got some updates. <laughs> you can on... stop now if you want. <laughs> we're not forcing you. You can listen to this in parts. <laughs> yeah. It's Satanism time. <laughs> <laughs> we we need to make this its own segment uh its own continuing segment of perhaps we'll call it satanic kind of panic is yeah kind of is but we'll let's do it all right so what is happening in the world of satanism it's <laughs> such a yes. weird thing to say that okay. world of Satanism. I got a video here. Caleb actually brought it to my attention, but of some developments down in Arkansas. So let's let's see what Arkansas has got going on. Just one second. And here we go. Good evening to you. We begin tonight with an unusual donation to the Saline County Library System. It is a children's bedtime story picture book published by the Satanic Temple. The book is titled The Satanic Temple Presents Goodnight Baphomet. Channel 7's Andrew Mobley is here with more details on this story. Andrew. The books were donated by Mr. Lee Thomas, who submitted so if at 6 you... p.m. yesterday, the sixth day of the sixth month, June. I don't agree with being able to put satanic books in. So if you're not watching on the video, just so you know, like they showed the cover of this book and it's like a cutesy looking satanic goat head figure with the horns and like a pentagram on it on the on the cover of this. On its forehead. Book. Yeah. <laughs> Let's continue. Children's uh, area. Really, I don't think it belongs in the library, period. There's enough evil in the world. We don't need to teach more. 
Thomas expressed in the letter of books that they were submitted in opposition to recent efforts by groups in Saline (laughs) County to censor and effectively remove certain books, such as those featuring LGBTQ subject matter, from the children's section of county public libraries. (laughs) In April, the Saline County Quorum Court passed a resolution to remove books deemed inappropriate from the county public library's children's section. The nationwide battle over children's book censorship has officially reared its schismatic head in Saline County. We've had some um, community members who are concerned about um, books in the library and relocating some books, and we have a couple of book challenges that we're working through right now. Yet to be challenged, Goodnight Baphomet teaches children the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple. So literally, like... It's the foundation. But but look at this lady here. See if it meets the criteria. If you read the book, the the content really only goes through some good character traits for children, and that's good character traits. The the seven tenets of the things that are already on our shelves, (laughs) as far as the overall content. The Saline County Library System is a public library for everyone in the community. In our collection policy, it states that we have a wide range of viewpoints, a wide range of ideas that are for ethnicities, religions. As always, I just say, come in to the library and look at the books, and then we'll have a discussion about them. That's that's enough there. So, Um, the Satanic Temple teaching you seven tenets of of moral qualities. There you go. And your friendly local librarian who is actually... uh, (laughs) Probably a raging liberal, um, because we have no idea there. Well, actually, I mean, this is something you have to realize about libraries is that just as, uh, um, there's been attempts to capture educational systems, uh, to indoctrinate them with woke ideologies, the same thing has happened with libraries. Well, and you heard, uh, I mean, it, it, it was a little quiet, but what, what they had said was a uh, <clears throat> an individual uh, named Leewood Thomas wrote a letter uh, when he donated the books of these the Satanic Temple, uh, Goodnight Baphomet. Um, the letter basically said that he was donating these books in a response to recent efforts by groups in the Saline County of Little Rock, Arkansas, to censor and effectively remove certain books, such as those featuring LGBTQ subject matter. And we pointed out the 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 the, the link, the ties uh, between this LGBT stuff and uh, this satanic temple. So we'll leave that there, I suppose. Uh, at least for me, I'll leave that there uh, <laughs> for now. Yeah. So we have one more. Yep, we do. We've got one more case of Satanism. You've got this... a case of the Satanisms. <laughs> you have a Satanism. Oh, um, so this one. Uh, while he while he's pulling up the slide, there. Disney Disney Plus, which has been featured multiple times on our show now at this point in several conversations. Yep. Disney Plus has greenlighted a production of a German show called Pauline. Uh, the uh, the release date is yet to be announced, um, but it is currently undergoing production. All right. So what 
could Disney possibly be um, backing and looking to, yeah, what, what's wrong with this show, Pauline? Well, it's not dealing in the Pauline epistles. It is not. No. Um, apparently, the premise of this Disney Plus series is an 18-year-old teenager uh, becomes pregnant uh, from a one-night stand with a guy who just so happens to be the devil. There you go. And why does she have this one-night stand? Let's bring it full circle. Why does she have a one-night stand in the first place? It's well, school. according to yeah, this article you sent me, <laughs> with school stress, the climate crisis. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You can't. I, I mean, I wish we could. I mean, if we were like writers for a production and we came up with this, they'd be like, no, that's too on the nose. Um, the climate crisis and the downfall of society weighing heavily on her mind, something she doesn't need at all right now is catching feelings, especially not for her one-night stand, Lucas, who, as it turns out, is the devil himself. Yeah. So Disney backing this production greenlit to be featured on their platform. Um, well, it's... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's... That's all you can really that's all you can really say about that. <laughs> yep. So, in which let's 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 also not uh not skip over the name Lucas uh in the first place that this devil that she has the one night stand with Satan is uh Lucas means bringer of light. It's probably a, you know, a reference to Lucifer, but his name is bringer of light. Satan uh, often disguises himself as angel of light well and with that that's all the time that we have for since we actually it's beyond the time that we have for but we're we'll leave it there yeah so thank you for joining us on this long strange journey through the issue of climate change with some satanism sprinkled in at the end um I hope this is helpful. I mean, we don't just do this stuff because it's weird and obnoxious and frustrating, but also hilarious at times. But, uh, you know, these are the issues that we're dealing with in the world around us. And we were trying to think through them as Christians, think through them theologically, uh, think about them according to a Christian worldview. You know, what we did back at the beginning of our show, looking at uh, Christianity and culture and things like that is sort of as background and foundational material, and this is sort of that put into practice. How mm. then do we live in this world? And so we hope this is helpful to you. If you have any feedback or have any questions, you can reach us the usual ways. Email uh, OFADpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at OFADpodcast. And uh, until next time, uh, I don't... I'm going to play the outro and not the intro. <laughs> because what better way to end this very strange and bizarre show than with the wrong sounds? That's right. Take it, Heidi. You're way too early. You got like oh, you're right. more sec. So, Heidi, 50 sign-off phrase? 50 sign-off inane. Take it, Heidi. Take it, Heidi. Take it, Heidi.
Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our Substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once for All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.